I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I'll tell you what, Jimmy. I get fired up for ball, of course, that meaning football. I get fired up for people who cover ball extensively. And that would absolutely describe our guy, Dane Brugler, from The Athletic, NFL draft analyst, guru supreme. I want to know, Dane, because you do this mega deep dive with the beast, over 400 scouting reports on almost 1,900 prospects. That is amazing. What is the most obscure fact that you know about one of the most obscure players in this upcoming draft? Oh, gosh. Uh, there, there's a lot of good nuggets in there. I think that's where the guy can really, you know, flex its muscles a little bit uh, with, with some of the background info. Um, you know, I think it's always interesting to learn where these guys come from. And, you know, like a, like a Jalen Hyatt, the Tennessee wide receiver, you, you can read in the draft guide how his dad is a professional cyclist and his mom was an All-American sprinter in high school. And it's like, okay, all right, no, no wonder where this guy got his wheels from. Uh, or, you know, Evan Hull, the Northwestern uh, running back, his uh, fiance is the sister to Jermaine Johnson, uh, who was a first-round pick last year to the Jets. And uh, Evan was uh, you know, a big part of that. He got a taste of the NFL, and he'll be drafted somewhere on day three uh, this year. Uh, you know, Derek Hall, an Auburn pass rusher, you dive into his background, you find out he was born four months premature. The doctors told his mom, hey, he's not going to make it. He's not going to have any quality of life. And he turns into this 6'3", 260-pound uh, pass rusher who's, uh, who's doing just fine. So, you know, I think that's in order to know where these guys are headed, it's really interesting to look back and see where they've been and, and the journey they've taken to this, to this point to be on the NFL's doorstep. And so it's, it's really interesting. Dane, I want to get right down to brass tacks because I'm just an impatient man and that's just the way that way the things roll for me sometimes. <laughs> I apologize in that regard. So after the beast, you also take on your other monster project where you release your seven round mock draft, given all 259 picks. And I know that for you, obviously 257 this year, but when you look at your schedule, you're going to release another mock next week as well. And mm-hmm. when you did the one this past week, or I guess 11 days ago, you have the Colts taking Anthony Richardson at four. And there's been a lot of mm-hmm. rumbling over the last five days. Maybe it's Will Levis they're going to take it four. So I want to shift both to your thoughts on what they'll do, and then ultimately if it is Will Levis, where do you grade him? Should Colts fans be worried, or is there a chance he could bloom into something special in Indianapolis? Well, with the fourth pick, obviously, uh, you know, I, what happens with the first three picks, that, that is going mm-hmm. to impact what happens at four. Sure. And the closer we get to the draft, I think we can feel more and more confident that Bryce Young is going to be the pick to the Panthers at number one. Number two with the Texans, that's where the intrigue starts. Um, I think there's a very good chance they draft a, a non-quarterback there, uh, whether that's Tyree Wilson or, or Will Anderson. There's a very good chance that does happen. I, I, it's more than just you know, a lot of people say you can't believe anything you hear this time of year. It's lying season. Uh, it, you know, you just need to know who to listen to. And I, the people that I trust um, around the league, because uh, you know, obviously the Texans aren't telling anybody what they're doing, but other teams have an idea of what they think is going to happen. And other teams believe uh, that there's a good chance a non-quarterback goes too. And then if that's the case, 
do we have a bidding war at number three with the Arizona Cardinals? Who trades up to number three to get that spot? Could it be the Colts moving up one spot just to ensure that they get their guy, whoever that may be? Uh, or are they comfortable sitting at four and saying, okay, if C.J. Stroud, someone trades up for C.J. Stroud at three, we feel great with Will Levis at four. Or maybe they do have Stroud uh, you know, a certain grade ahead of Levis where it's worth trading a third rounder this year, a third rounder next year, whatever it takes to move up one spot to make sure they get the better quarterback on their board so a lot of intrigue with that top five and the quarterbacks and how it's going to play out but i, I will say this with levis i he gets a bad rap he, he does mm-hmm. uh you know with, with these quarterbacks i think when you factor in uh you know because with the quarterbacks you try to ex- uh, separate reasons from excuses and i think when you look at will levis there are a lot of reasons why maybe he didn't quite live up to expectations this year and he still had a solid year i mean he was over 65 percent completions had 19 uh over over 20 total touchdowns um but when you factor in a, a new play caller it would have been it would have been awesome to see what he could have done with liam cohen uh still in the fold as a play caller but he went to be the rams offensive coordinator last year um and, and really if will knew that was going to happen will might have came out last year and he would have been uh competing with kenny pickett to be the first wide receiver or first quarterback drafted in the uh, last year so that that was a wrinkle that affected him this year um losing wandale robinson he did the wide receiver core is really young um, you know, the, the timing was off. The offensive line, three-fifths of the offensive line was missing. So, again, it sounds like I'm making excuses here. But there are also reasons why he didn't live up to those uh, the, to the hype that we heard. And also you factor in he was hurt. I mean, people don't realize he was getting shots before every single game just so he could go out there. A lot of quarterbacks would not even played that were in Will Levis's shoes, uh, you know, a potential top-ten pick. But he wanted to be out there. And so the toughness level off the charts, intelligence off the charts, and then you factor in the physical tools. 6'4", 230, uh, a quick release. The arm is awesome. Mobility. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you point to with Will Levis and say, yeah, we can work with that. We can, we can uh, you know, with the situation he was in last year, we feel like we can build a better ecosystem and he can really thrive with what we have. So if Will Levis ends up being the second quarterback drafted, would not be surprised at all. And I think it is a, a potential outcome uh, by the time we get to draft night. He's Dane Brugler from The Athletic joining us here on The Fan. Why do you think the criticism of Will Levis has been so mainstream? What would you attribute that to? You know, we saw the same thing with Josh Allen. Um, you know, when there's just there's so many of these quarterbacks. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson from Florida is three years younger, and you look at uh, the exciting tools that he has to offer. Uh, you know, it's easy to get excited about what Anthony Richardson could be in, in three years from now. Um, and and I, I would totally understand for Anthony Richardson, the number two quarterback off the board. You know, I, I get that. It's not like you have to sell me hard on an Anthony Richardson or a Will Levis or a C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, uh, you know, he's uh, – if you had to put – there's no such thing as a safe prospect, but if you had to put the safe label on one of these quarterbacks, you're putting it on Stroud because of what he has shown from within the pocket. Uh, pre and post snap he reads the field he's very accurate he touches up every level of the field Um, I mean there's just a lot that you feel good about CJ Stroud now the ceiling is a different question in terms of how good he can actually be Um, but and then you got a guy with Will Levis where and I think fans need to remember that uh, when you're drafting players in the NFL it's not about what you've done 
It's about what we think you can do. And that's why teams draft traits, not production. And when you look at the traits that Will Levis has to offer, uh, there's a lot of things to, to be excited about. I think he's more accurate than Anthony Richardson. Um, there are definitely um, several times on tape where you look and say, you know, I wish you would have saw that just a little bit faster. Um, and, and But part of that goes back to receivers not being in the right spot at the right time uh, or, you know, the offensive line not giving him time. I mean, there, there's a lot of factors here where the offense just did not look the same as it did the year before. So if, you, if you're drafting Will Levis just based off the 2021 tape, I, I think there are a lot fewer questions uh, about uh, about him and his next level transition. Dane Brugler taking some time with us, lead draft analyst for The Athletic. Of course, he authors The Beast. You can get with your athletic subscription. Has great content on every prospect you could imagine for next week's draft. I want to mention part of your summary about Levis and, and, and clarify it for me or clarify it for our audience. If it matters uh, at the next level versus what he had to work with at Kentucky, that's been the main defense of Will Levis is, well, he doesn't have the same type of tools or, or weapons around him that would make it easier to process like CJ Stroud would have had at Ohio state. You said defenses are too easily able to put doubt in his mind, which leads to forced or inaccurate throws because of hesitancy in his game. How much of that, with your evaluation of the tape is because of what's around him and all the underlying circumstances you already mentioned and how much of it is eh, this might be a flag for what he's able to do against top tier defenses in the NFL. We don't talk enough about how dependent the quarterback position is. Like, I, I mean, it, your receivers, your line, your coaching. I mean, this is, the quarterback is a it's a team game, and if a quarterback can't do it all, if he's, if you're not getting the blocking, if your guys aren't getting open, um, you know, it's it's so much about pro level wide receivers, and you know, it's all about timing and cadence. And if you don't have that with your quarterback. Uh, it's going to be really hard to move the football. And, you know, if you don't have that with your quarterback, it creates doubt. And so it's it, it's a little all of the above with uh, everything that went on at, at Kentucky last year. And, you know, what? they still had a relatively successful season, um, you know, with uh, what they were able to do. So I think, you know, Levis overcame a lot that were, you know, kind of roadblocks in his way. So, you know, it's, it's something that he's not um, – a, a perfectly clean evaluation you know it's not like i'm, I'm not going to sit here and say i'm you know going to bet my mortgage that uh he, he's going to end up being a, a playoff caliber quarterback but he has the tools that i can understand why a team would bet that he could do it um you know he, he he's a very intelligent guy both book smart but also quick-minded and i think that's something that and the toughness i think that you look at a guy like jalen hurts uh for the for the eagles and obviously different price tag he was a second round pick but something that has really stood out with Hertz uh, is he – it's been a little bit of a roller coaster for him over the years. I mean, think about it. This time last year, we were talking about the Eagles having multiple first-round picks in this draft that they could go get a quarterback if they won. We weren't talking about Jalen Hurts as his potential MVP candidate. But it's Hurts is so special because of the competitive toughness, because of the intangibles, because of that mentality that he has where he can make mistakes – and overcome them and, you know, brush them off. And I think that's with, uh, with Will Levis, you see some of that as well, where it doesn't matter what's going on around him. He has that mentality and the competitive toughness to fight through that and go to the next play without it lingering. So I, I think that, 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 that with a lot of coaches, a lot of evaluators around the league, they're, they're looking at Levis and they see that and they're willing to bet on that. Dane, when you uh, you hear about these S2 scores a lot more yep. now where it's it basically measures how quickly a player can process information. 
how much mm-hmm. stock do you put into that, and how much stock do teams put into a, a, a test like that? It's split. I mean, some teams don't use it at all. Um, some teams uh, are very, very invested in, in those scores. And, you know, I think it's a relatively new, uh, uh, you know, a data point to the evaluation process. And so, uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, teams included, those of us on the outside, we're still piecing together how, you know, you think of a pie chart and how much of that pie chart is, you know, most of it's game tape and part of the pie chart is uh you know certain you know the interview process part of it is uh maybe the medicals uh, but part of that pie chart goes to the cognitive testing and how much how big should that percentage be in the pie chart for an s2 and some of these other tests that we have we're still trying to figure that part out um because it's i don't think anybody looks at it and says this is um, you know, a, a be all end all. It's going to tell us a quarterback's going to be successful. And I can't tell you exactly how the Col- how much stock the Colts put into it. I, d- I don't know that, but I do know um, you know some teams care a lot about it, and you know that might be a reason why uh, the Texans, if they don't draft the quarterback in two, it might be a reason why. So um, the S two testing is definitely playing a part now um, in how you know teams. Uh, you know, it's, part, it's a data point. It's something else to consider. Um, and, you know, with the Colts, uh, I, I can't tell you exactly how much they, they weigh something like that, but it's at least, you know, you want all the information you can. And for a guy like Will Levis, who scored high, uh, he was in the 90s. It, it, you know, Bryce Young was near perfect, and he was at the top. No, no wonder, you know, why he's uh, going to be the number one overall pick. But Will Levis, not far behind. He, he, he graded pretty highly, and that, that, that tracks with the intelligence that you hear about, that you know everything, all the scouts that talk about him, they all mention his his smarts and how quickly he uh, processes things. So um, you know, it's uh, wasn't a surprise to see Will Levis score high. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. In that test. The Athletics' Dane Bluger with us here on The Fan. Dane, I asked you about Will Levis a couple moments ago and how he's able to you know, be factored in with his ability to process versus the weapons around him. Conversely, when you look at a prospect like C.J. Stroud and you say things like his ability with ball placement, being a rhythm passer, how do you evaluate that compared to what he had around him when trying to project what he can do at the next level, particularly in a first or second year with a team where maybe they don't have, they won't have the type of treasure troves of weapons that Ohio State had around him. That, that's always the difficult part, uh, and that's why quarterback will always be the toughest position to evaluate. Is because the college game is very different than the NFL game, and some of these guys had a, a really uh, comfortable situation. And C.J. Stroud. Uh, you know, you think, look at his left tackle, right tackle. Uh, one will be a first-round pick. The other will be a second-round pick this year. Uh, you think about the targets he was throwing to uh, last year uh, with uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, this year with Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, Egbuka and Julian Fleming. Um, I mean, just a loaded, loaded offense. And so – you don't fault him for that. It's not his fault, but you try to separate him from the situation. And it's not always easy to do. And not just the talent, but the play calling and the, the offensive structure. I mean, you think about Hendon Hooker and, uh, you know, he's a, a quarterback who thrived this year. Would have won the Heisman, in my opinion, if not for the ACL injury late in the year. 
But he's playing in an offense where it's half field reads. It's uh, you know you're spreading out the defense, a lot of more uh, more open windows and defined reads is what you're doing. So it's just it's different than what you're going to be asked to do in the NFL. And there's definitely projection involved with that. And so for a CJ Stroud, you know, let's just say he does go number two to the, the Texans. Uh, you know, he's uh, the, the, the talent that he has on that roster, you know, it's uh, relative to what he had at Ohio State. It's going to be much different. And so it, it's uh, it, it's why the quarterback position is so so difficult to evaluate because you have to try to uh, scout them independent of everything around him. But it's not always easy to do. And when everything happens a little bit faster and he's feeling the heat, feeling the pressure, can he speed things up? Can he get better in that respect? Um, that, that, that's the question with the ceiling with C.J. Stroud is the creativity. Can he use his legs more? We saw it in the Georgia game. I think that's what gives you optimism that he can, but it's you know by no, uh, no, no sure thing by any means uh, when he's facing that type of defense week in, week out in the NFL. I, I don't know if this is a, a good or even fair question, but with everything you explained there with C.J. Stroud, and I'm with you on that. I've been saying similar things. Which would make you more nervous as a team? Let's say you draft C.J. Stroud. Would you be more nervous like we got to surround C.J. Stroud with as much talent as possible because that's what he's had at Ohio State? Or, or would you feel more nervous about surrounding Will Levis with top talent? How would you go about that, uh, breaking the tie between Stroud and Levis in terms of supporting cast, which is more important? You know, I, I, I think that it doesn't really matter who your quarterback is. I mean, you have to do your best to surround him with, with talent because it's it, it, it's tough for any quarterback to truly lift up uh, uh, the, the team around you if you don't have talent. It really is. And so, you know, we've seen it. You know, who knows? You know, go back to Tim Couch coming in with the Browns. You know, Tim Couch, if he goes to number two to the Eagles and Donovan McNabb goes number one to the Browns, uh, who knows how we're talking about Tim Couch as being, uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks uh, the last 25 years. You know, I, I, so I think so much about the situation uh, dictates how guys uh, end up developing and, the, and how we view these uh, view these guys. So, you know, I, I, Stroud is used to having an all-star cast around him, and that is – Something that when he gets to the NFL, and maybe it's not quite as easy, maybe he's able to adjust. You know, we don't know. And with Will Levis, uh, with you put more talent around him, uh, you know, it, maybe he's really able to shine, uh, or maybe he's still facing some of the same struggles. It's it, it's a, it's the uh, the college game, and the NFL game are so so different that makes it a really tough projection with these quarterbacks. Dane, last thing on my end, when you are analyzing and making your seven-round mock, you have the Colts mm-hmm. taking a corner with their second pick, and then you have, in the third round, them taking Marvin Mims at wide receiver. I'm more of an offensive first guy, so I'll leave it there. When you're looking at the scouts you've done and you're looking at the need for the team, how do you factor that in when mocking out, okay, in the third round, the Colts need a wide out? This is why I think, just for example, in this mock, Marvin Mims fits best with Shane Steichen's offense, and how much do you take into account the quarterback selection they would have made earlier in your mock? Yeah, I think you do your best to understand team needs, but not, not more so than just, okay, they need a corner, okay, it's this guy, or you need a receiver, okay, it's just this. It, you try to focus on trends, uh, the types of receivers, the types of corners that they look for. Certain teams have certain thresholds when it comes to athletic testing, when it comes to size, 
Um, you know, and so you try to color within the lines as much as you can. Uh, and that can be difficult because it's not always that simple. Teams will, uh, you know, buck the trend here and there. And with the Colts, you know, we, we know, you know, knowing Chris, I mean, he, he likes to uh, address toolsy players, the high traits. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that we know he loves to build up front, especially on the defensive line. But when, you know, in, in the second round, I am drafting Emmanuel Forbes, which, you know, that's a tough one because Emmanuel Forbes is 100, was 166 pounds at the combine. He's a really good player. You love the tape. You love the ball skills. Can you compromise a little bit on the size for a guy that has that type of ability? And, you know, would, uh, w- would Chris do that where, you know, we know Chris, it's a big man's game and he wants the, the bigger guys, the, the, the traits. Uh, but Emmanuel Forbes, if he were to fall to you in the second round, it'd be awfully tough to pass on a good football player. So it does become a little bit of a, a, a challenge to try to match these guys up. But, you know, I think a, like a Marvin Mims in the third round, uh, given this team more of a, a downfield threat, he doesn't, Mims doesn't have size, but he has speed. He can get over the top to the defense, um, you know, help open things up. So um, when you try to match up what fits, especially with the first-year coaching staff, not always easy, but, yeah, you try to color within the lines as much as possible. You know, Dane, before you go, the name The Beast is just fantastic <laughs> for your draft guide. Like, I got to know, did you come up with it? I just saw the movie Air, and there was a, no. a thing about who came up with Air Jordan exactly. Like, Was it you that came up with The Beast, a family member? How did it come about? No, honestly, I fought it. I, you know, I, I'm not a... Uh, a, a kind of a you know look at me type of you know like that's not I just wanted to do my work and share it and all that and um, it was, a couple fans kept calling it the beast the beast and it just kind of stuck uh, you know seven eight years ago and I, finally I just embraced it and said you know what if there's a name that's going to really encapsulate everything I'm trying to do here with the the amount of work a year's worth of work all the players there's almost 1900 players in here um, you know what the beast it kind of fits. It, it, it does, I think, uh, sum it up. And so, you know, starting to lean into it a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, that just it puts more pressure on me to make sure I'm living up to it every single year. If I'm going to call something the beast, it better live up to that type of name. And uh, I, I think we did it this year. And you know, that's motivation every year. I love it, man. Well, hey, Dane, great job, as always, man, with the beast. And thanks for joining us today. Great job on the interview as well. We love your stuff. And it's good to visit with you. Thanks, Dane. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, NFL draft analyst. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Eddie Garrison with us as well. You've been on a big uh, classic rock rejoin kick over there, Eddie Garrison, it's I feel Friday, like. Friday. That's how I roll. <laughs> that's how you get that. fine. You got to get the weekend vibes going, you know, with some yeah. classic hits. I can, I can picture you cruising down like, I don't know, 465 East. Not West, East. Uh, rocking some classic <laughs> rock. Window is half rolled down. Not fully because it might be raining, you know. Hair just blowing, glasses on. Can you see it too, Jimmy? He's got it right. Yep. That's the picture. I had the picture. Yep. All right. Kevin Bowen joining us here. KB from uh, Kevin and Query on the fan here. Hear him every morning. Uh, how about you, 
Kevin, you get down with the window halfway rolled down, classic rock playing, you do that? Yeah, I, I don't know about classic rock. I mean, honestly, stereotypical like sports writers, like, all right, Bruce Springsteen time, you know, <laughs> let's go, windows down. Uh, I'm probably a little bit more modern with my selections, not to act like I'm young and hip by any means, but a little bit more modern than maybe the stereotypical uh, maybe what Mike Chappell's listening to on his way to Peach Grove right now. <laughs> what are a couple examples of this uh, modern rock that you partake in, KB? Uh, again, I don't know if rock would – maybe I misspoke. More just a modern um, music genre. Mm. Uh, I'm not you know, particular classic rock. I'm not diehard country. I'm not diehard rap. I just am more of that. If you're going to play like – Top 100 most played on Spotify in the last couple of years. I'm probably one that's going to uh, going to appreciate the music selection. He's listening to Soldier Boy and uh, <laughs> uh, Apple Bottom Jeans. That's what he's listening to. You know what, Eddie? Um, I think yesterday, how old am I? I'm 33. So yesterday, I believe, was the 14-year anniversary of me attending a Soldier Boy concert out in... Boy, I don't even know if they have, like, a name for it. Um, I just called them the tailgate fields when I was in college. Pretty much the tailgate fields at IU. A little five week, and I was a freshman, and I went to the Soldier Boy concert. I did not stay very long. Don't think uh, freshman year Kevin Bowen uh, could really handle uh, maybe the environment uh, at the old Soldier Boy concert. But I have seen Soldier Boy. I got a T-shirt as well. Um, I think I did uh, donate that T-shirt though in the last couple of years. So yes, Eddie, you are you are on to something there. <laughs> I love it, man. How about uh, seeing Chris Ballard today at the press conference, meeting with the media? What was your biggest takeaway from what he had to say? Yeah, I always find it a little bit more informative than most. I, I, I don't know. I feel like you know, it's just like, oh, it's the draft presser. He's not going to say anything of note. Um, I think particularly when you get away from draft-related questions and you ask a little bit more free agency-related questions, you know, Ballard can be a guy that does share some things. So he just posted to 107.5thefan.com, you know, where he sees draft depth, I always find particularly interesting. He mentioned tight end. He mentioned O-line and D-line, likes the DN group especially, likes the cornerback group, which is certainly a need for this team. You know, he talked about corner and O-line as two areas that, uh, they could, you know, not only find maybe in the draft a little bit there, but also in free agency still. Um, so that was some of the non-quarterback stuff. You know, if again I say this with it is lying season, Ballard like to use the word. You know, I don't lie. I might dance. So you know, he was certainly doing some dancing, <laughs> dancing today. If there is one thing that I found interesting in the twenty minutes. It was he went out of his way, probably 10-ish questions into the press conference, to make it clear that he was laughing at the whatever, the assumption out there that the Colts have been pegged to one guy. Now, he did not say that one guy. I do think if there is some national and even some local chatter, um, it would probably be Will Levis. I, I would think would qualify as maybe the name that you – most see the Colts associated with. Um, and Ballard, again, kind of went out of his way to yeah, disregard that sort of assumption. Um, you could look at that one of a couple of ways. He did that to try and maybe quiet the chatter because, in reality, that's who they want, and they would like to select that guy. 
next Thursday. Um, I feel like if he wanted to do that, he would have gone like heavy out of his way and would have brought that up on several occasions. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. And I think to myself, you know, he just can't really help himself. And he, he, he at times kind of gets in those, gets in those modes and those settings where there is something that he thinks is not true. He's hearing it and he wants to make sure that people out there, you know, that he points out that he sees it and he, it, it is not true. So again, it, it, it's six days before the draft starts. I might be overreading so much into that statement. But I did find that one little tidbit uh, a bit interesting. Kev, this first lead-in is a yes or no. Do you think Vegas is almost always right? Uh, I'd like to answer more than one word, but (laughs) yes. Okay, I lead it up that way in reference to Chris Bauer potentially talking about Will Levis or not. And I want to get your kind of feel for if it's not internally from the Colts being leaked out where's it coming from or where do you think it's coming from? And and at this point, do we believe it is fact? That is to say that over the course of four days alone, there's a bet on DraftKings where you could decide who's getting drafted first, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. It was minus like 134 days ago. It was minus 175 two days ago. It's minus 300 today that Will Levis is going to be taken before Anthony Richardson. The other aspect of that that's been in free fall, who will be taken fourth overall in this draft? It was as high as, I can't remember what it was, Eddie, but like plus 260 or something, plus 380 for Will Levis being fourth overall a couple days ago. We've seen it trickle down all the way now to plus 100 for him to be taken fourth. So I say all that to say Ballard may or may not be referencing Will Levis, but I disagree with him. I, I think the deal is done. I think he's trying to punk us. Do you think I'm right on that, or do you feel like, eh, maybe there, it still is up in the air, we should wait till draft night? Yeah, I mean, those are all terrific points that you make. I, I would love to see more of a post-kind of draft case study with gambling lines sure. in, in recent years. And I say that in all seriousness. Because uh, with games, it's easy. Like, at the end of a game, it's like, oh, wow, Vegas had it at six and a half, whereas when the draft gets over, you only really care about your own team. So you're not really too plugged into like, hey, did they get that third pick right? Uh, you know, you're just more worried about, you know, who your team selected. Yeah. Um, you know, who could be leaking that to the point that you were making earlier? I think that's a great question. Uh, I mean, I, I asked that. I'm like, oh, is everyone lying right now? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people that you would trust. Is lying, or is that people that are affiliated with teams that just want to see a C.J. Stroud drop, for example? The other question that I think is really fascinating is like, all right, let's fast forward to Wednesday night. You're one night before the NFL draft, the final sleep before the draft. Who inside the Colts organization will know who they want to pick at number four? Hmm. I could make the argument only two people will know, and that would be Chris Ballard and Shane Sykin. I could probably hear Jim Irsay on that list. You know, maybe Ed Dodds, maybe Jim Bob Cooter, maybe Morocco Brown, some people in their personnel department. But, you know, these teams, I think, realize how secretive they have to be. So just simply dropping straight-up lies is probably what they would like to do to try and get people to pivot or think otherwise. Now, again, to the Vegas point, yes, it is right a whole lot. And there's movement there that I'm not totally going to ignore. 
this is just me speaking from my own personal perspective on things. I probably heard early on a little bit more that Will Levis was a guy that there was some intrigue. I would think that I've heard from people that I trust that it's Anthony Richardson shouldn't be ruled out. So I said it this morning, and I'll say it again, I don't have strong conviction, and I apologize for that, but that means that I think the Colts are doing their job pretty well. And as a Colts fan, I think the biggest belief you should have is in Shane Steichen's quarterback history. And whether it's Levis, whether it's Richardson, or whether it's Stroud, I think you've got a quarterback guy that has handled different styles before and has developed them quite nicely. And that's what should give you hope heading into Thursday. What are the chances that Kevin Bowen is a part of that inner circle, knowing who they want at number four? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, probably better chance I play Augusta National here the next <laughs> week than that happening. Um, yeah, I, sure. I again, I would, I would love that, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't think any of you know me or my colleagues. Oh yeah, uh, will have that information out, and I think Ballard, you know, pointed this out as well. I mean, like. He was asked, what do you think is going to happen at one, two, and three? Or maybe it wasn't that direct. Maybe it was like, you know, do you have a good idea of what's going to happen at one, two, or three? He's like, no, I have no idea what's going to happen at one, two, or three. And he's going to have a whole lot more league connections around the league than, you know, Kevin Bowen will. So that's just a little bit part of the draft. Like, sure, part of my job is to try and, you know, find that information out. But it's not the end-all, be-all to me. I know you could you, – you and I have had this conversation, you know, Brian, Jimmy, certainly Eddie as well. You know, when the Pacers were on a week before the draft last year, Benedict Matherin stand on the table for him. I just mm-hmm. don't feel that way about my personal opinion on the Colts pick, and I certainly don't feel that way about me trying to gauge what the Colts are going to do. I really – I could see Will Levis. I could see Anthony Richardson. I could see C.J. Stroud. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Do 17 players with first round grades mean they're trading back? <laughs> Um, <laughs> boy, that'll get people to drive off the road on this Friday afternoon. I, I honestly kind of took it the other way, Jimmy, of if it gets to 28, 29, 30 late on Thursday night and your Chiefs have their first round pick, I assume they do. They do. Um, yeah, so, you know, you would be the only one maybe super caring at that point. Um, not long. Would the Colts trade back into round one? Would they trade from 35 to 29 or 30? Uh, it's very anti-Chris Ballard. Let me make that very clear. Um, but the thinking there would be if you have a premium player, maybe a corner, maybe a receiver, again, one of those 17 first-round grades the Colts have, there are some big advantages to drafting a guy in the first round. Look at how much money these wide receivers are getting paid these days. And look at what happened last offseason. What you saw there – was, you know, great second and third round wideouts cashing in early because their rookie contract is only four years long. Whereas if you're a first round pick, the team has a fifth year option they can tag on Mm -hmm. that four year rookie contract. So the AJ Browns and the DK Metcalf and the Terry McLaurins of the world and Debo Samuel, they all were great players. 
But the fact that they were great players drafted outside of round one meant that they got paid earlier. And so I think that is something you would need to think of, of, hey, not only do you want to trade maybe back into round one to make sure you get a guy that you coveted, but also there is a financial component. It's going to cost you something, and you're looking a bit more down the road with that. But when you talk about paying wideouts or paying other premium positions, you're not just quarterback, I think there's a lot of advantages to doing that. He's KB, Kevin Bowen, joining us here on The Fan. Trying to figure out what the Texans are going to do at number two. And I just put this to- together, KB. I'm, I'm using the fear factor, right? Like, which would be a greater fear for the Texans as we're trying to piece together who they're going to select, which obviously has a ripple effect with the Colts at number four. And so I'm thinking, which is a greater fear for the Texans in your opinion? If they're looking there and they've got their rankings and let's say Bryce Young goes number one to the Panthers, is the fear of, hey, if we don't take this guy, fill in the blank, and we're wrong, is that the bigger fear than, hey, if we take this other guy and we're wrong? Oh boy, like which do you think they're more fearful of? having happened they they take a guy and he doesn't pan out or they they bypass a guy who does pan out yeah it's a good question um i i really haven't given that too much thought i i I would say this i think they are just in a we can be pretty patient sort of situation whereas when you're seven years into the gm tenure of chris ballard you don't feel that same amount of patience nor do you have an additional pick at number 12, like Houston has, nor do you have a defensive-minded head coach. You have an offensive-minded head coach. And you don't have two first-round picks next year, like Mm -hmm. Houston has. So Houston, I just think, is in a little bit of a different situation. Um, And, you know, their franchise history, you can make the argument, sure, they've had this huge void at at quarterback. That's certainly true. But also, you know, if they could get the next J.J. Watt, that would obviously appease a lot of the people probably within that organization. Hell, it would do that for a lot. So, I, so I, probably some general fear of, like, just the fact that the Colts sit there at four, the real fear factor would probably be you pass, the Colts get them, and for mm-hmm. the, you know, umpteenth year in a row, the Colts continue to do to the Texans what they've done for pretty much the entire existence of mm-hmm. the AFC South. So that's probably where more of the fear would come from. Uh, but I think it's fascinating to get into Houston. I know you guys had Aaron Wilson on earlier in the week, and you know he, he covers the Texans and made it pretty clear that he'd be surprised if they took a quarterback at two. You know, Arizona at three, I think, is another one. You know, what will those trade offers look like for them? What will they look like if C.J. Stroud is on the table? You know, I think for a while there, when Arizona has fielded the trades this offseason, C.J. Stroud maybe hasn't been a thought for trade up teams. Um, and so I think when you throw in those two teams, you throw in Stroud, I think in particular you throw in the intrigue and the unknown of Anthony Richardson. Maybe it's because we're not used to being in this position with our local NFL team. Gosh, it just is so freaking maddening and fascinating and an unknown of where the Colts are at, what's going to happen above them, and how they will react to it. Treasure trove of picks available to them. Eight picks in total. You think all eight are made, or you think there's going to be some wheeling and dealing, some trades once we get past the first round, just for the sake of argument? Let's say they take a quarterback there. We look at their second, third, fourth, two fifths, and two sevenths. Where do you see potential trades occurring, if at all? You know, something Ballard mentioned today is he feels like there are some guys that 
out of the fourth or fifth round that can be kind of starting level players in this league. They actually have an additional fifth. They have three fifths. They have their own, um, and then they have the Naheem Hines and the Stephon Gilmore trade. Um, so I, I think when you look at that, you know, I know I just said to you, Jimmy, that, you know, what, what if the Colts trade back into round one? Now, as I said, that is extremely anti-Chris Ballard. I'm not saying they would do that, but it's just something that I think I'm curious about. Sitting there at 35, the third pick of the second round, you know, they're going to have whatever, 20-some hours to think about that selection, knowing who might be there for them. If you trade back from, like, 35 to 45, you're going to get an additional pick that's pretty premium, like maybe another third rounder or something like that, maybe another you know third and a fifth, something like that. And that is then Ballard's MO. I mean, I would have to look it up, but I'd be I'd guess he's traded back in the second round, boy, at least three or four times in his draft history. I also am interested in this. Again, I think the only way for this to happen would be to trade back from number four, which obviously Again, I'm not trying to, you know, add to any car accidents on 465 this afternoon. But is there any thought of trying to get a 2024 first-round pick? You know, is there any sort of thinking there of, hey, let's try and get a little bit more ammo for next year? Again, I don't think that is the case, but I do think some teams have reacted in that in years past. Now, not teams that are as desperate as the Colts are for quarterback, but – to answer your question, they've got nine picks. Uh, if I was a betting man, I would say that number is um, around 11 by the end of the uh, end of next Saturday. KB, you're the man. Hope you enjoy uh, the progressive music that you might be listening to on 465 today. <laughs> progressive music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. But, uh, yeah, you boys have a great week. Jimmy? I need a bet. I need a bet to win this weekend. Give me, oh. give me something here. Where are we going NBA playoffs? He's got a lock. I don't know if he forgot I about it. I do have the lock. You're right. Thank you for that. It, it, it briefly escaped me because I'm put on the spot. Uh, over 28 and a half total points won LeBron James tomorrow night. Got so excited about the bet. Uh, tomorrow night, 10 o'clock against the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, that's a nice Dylan Brooks bet, isn't it? It is a nice Dylan Brooks bet. You are correct. <laughs> yeah, okay. 28 and a half is a big number, but Dylan Brooks is chirping, so I like it. All right, boys. Have a great weekend. You too, Kevin. Uh, you too. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query here on The Fan.